She's also an athlete. She does cooking classes. She does podcasting. I don't know how she has time for everything. And yet she's taking the time out to do my show today. I've met her in Florida. She's wonderful. And her name is Dr. Jamie Delaney. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Nice to get to see you again. I know we, we met in Florida and I was telling you right before we started is that I, you have a wonderful podcast and I was, I was episode 22, which is nice because I was born on the 22nd. So 22 is one of my favorite numbers. It was five and a half years ago. You got to do it again. Yeah. So how do you have time? I mean, because you're a cardiologist, which is a very, very, I mean, not that and all doctors are, are busy, I'm sure, but it's a very busy type of practice, I'm sure. And yet you have time to be an athlete, to be a podcaster, you're a mom. How do you do it all? Well, now I'm a grandmom. So that's that part's me, you know, that's even getting getting easier. But, um, you know, uh, keeping busy keeps you out of trouble, right? So uh, I do the podcast in the evenings usually, you know, I run before work and swim before work. So you, you kind of get it all in. And we've actually transitioned the practice into a membership practice that allows us to have a smaller patient population that are really interested in changing uh, their lifestyle. So it makes it a lot more fun. I love that. That's the that's the kind of doctor I found finally after moving to the desert, a lifestyle med medicine doctor. And it's, it's so great. How yeah, long have yeah. you been doing this? And how did you, and I can't believe, first of all, I can't believe you're a grandma. You don't look old enough, but how did you get started doing this? Um, we, we transitioned to practice. It'll be three years in October that we fully transitioned uh, into a plant-based membership practice. Before that, we started by doing nutrition classes in the evening. And it was at that time that all of a sudden, the first time in my whole career as a cardiologist, that disease started to get better blood pressure went down, diabetes went away, coronary artery disease, chest pain went away. And it's like, hey, we're on to something. People are happier. So the only complaint that people had when we just did nutrition classes on the side was when the nutrition classes are over, you know, we don't have the support. So we decided to build a whole practice around the blue zone type support system, incorporating plant-based nutrition and movement and exercise into that group setting. Why doesn't every cardiologist do this? They don't want to have fun. It's funny when, you know, occasionally I still go to the hospital because we grandfathered all our 90 year olds. We had about 30, 90 year old plus in the practice. And so occasionally there's a slip and fall. When I go back to the hospital, which is really rare, people say, what, where have you been? You know, are you happy doing things that way? And it's like, I love doing things this way. You know, they, they kind of think that I came back from the dead, you know, because I don't have to go to the hospital every day. I love your shirt. It looks like I, there's some plants or something on it. Yeah, we've got, this is our logo. It's, uh, you know, our heart beats strong, you know, and uh, of course the beats with the beat. So we that have, is we have so a good time. Fun. So do, 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 do you have to live in Florida to be part of your practice? You do not. No, we have people all over the country that um, come in uh, via Zoom and Skype uh, and telemed with us. And we have different practices as my daughter works with me as a registered dietitian so that we can have, um, you know, a web, a web practice or um, a full membership practice, no matter where people are. So it makes it, uh, you know, we have a, a group of people all over the place and we have a Facebook group and a members only website that allows people to interact. And recently we've started just so anybody can join a plant-based striders because as you said, I'm a runner. And so we just started another group on the side that anybody can kind of follow along that wants to run and be active and get a little, get a little plant-based nutrition support there as well. What came first, the running or the plants? The running. 
Um, I, I was a runner, um, mainly, you know, my daughter was doing soccer or swimming and, you know, what do you do to pass the time I started running and I heard, I got a postcard in the mail that said, um, come run the Rome marathon and raise money for the American diabetes association. My mom had diabetes. All my family has diabetes. I thought that'd be a great idea. So, uh, you know, it's funny now I know how to get rid of diabetes without uh, having to find the cure. We just changed the diet. But at that point that I just ran and I, and actually it was through the heart catheterization lab that I became vegan because there was one of the technicians that was actually vegan in the lab. And she said, why don't you read John Robinson's book, John Robbins book about uh, a diet for a new America. And when I read that book, it's like, wow, I didn't know anything about this factory farming thing. And, you know, one thing led to another and forks over knives and Dr. Esselstyn. And here we go. That's amazing. Well, you have some fans on Brittany Giroudi saying you have a great podcast, wonderful doctor and uh, one of my favorite plant-based doctors. So here, here's a great question already from Maya who says, how does Dr. Delaney feel about some people challenging the reversal of coronary artery disease with a plant-based diet? Um, that one's easy. Um, because Dr. Dean Ornish has some of the best data from, you know, early 90s showing a heart catheterization before and a heart catheterization after changing to a plant-based diet and actually seeing reversal. He then did it again with PET stress testing. And of course, Dr. Esselstyn has some of the best data with taking people that were basically told by the Cleveland Clinic, it's over, go ahead, go get your affairs in order. And, uh, putting them on the, you know, a plant-based diet and changing their life. And I got to say, when I first started doing nutrition classes, it was a little scary as a traditional cardiologist, you know, you're going to say, instead of doing a heart catheterization or a bunch of medicines, let's try to do your nutrition. So it took, you know, patients in my own practice, seeing reversal of their stress test abnormalities and reversal of their symptoms to really make me a believer. Do the cardiologists that don't that aren't believers, is it because they really don't know or they just don't want to know? You know, it's a little bit scary. You know, there have been several trials out recently. The ischemia trial was one of them that looked at um, doing stent placement in people that had stable chest pain uh, or no chest pain and, and showed no difference in mortality or in symptoms versus people that just underwent medical therapy. But as you know, it takes a little bit more effort to do medical therapy um, and especially lifestyle therapy, you know, because it's like learning a new language. You know, you can hand people a book and say, here, go eat plant-based. But if you've not done that before, or you're not familiar with where your kitchen is in your house, it can be very difficult. So do you actually teach cooking classes? We do. We actually took our stress lab where we had our treadmill and nuclear equipment, took it out, took out a wall and put in a full kitchen and classroom. So two days a week, uh, two to three days a week, but two days every week we do, uh, I cook. Um, my 87 year old mother assists me in uh, getting things uh, up and serving. And then I do a PowerPoint lecture. And then we put that on Zoom for our people that aren't in town. So your mother's plant-based too? Absolutely. Well, she, yes, she is. She came in, she, she, we always say she came to it kicking and screaming. She had a bout of lymphoma and wasn't able to cook for herself. And so she received plant-based nutrition while she was sick. And then when she got better, she took it over. And our cookbook that we have, you know, the it's a plant-based wellness cookbook and it's the doctor, the dietitian, and the diva. She's the diva. And a lot of the soup recipes are hers actually. 
That's great. I'm gonna I'm gonna post a link to it for in just a second. That's fantastic. Do you, are you the one that actually is teaching the cooking class, or is somebody else doing it? No, I actually am the one teaching the class. Yes, hands on. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. Uh, I, you know, my mom laughs. She says, "I can't believe you're chopping and doing these things while you're talking and fielding questions." But I wouldn't have it any other way. I think that you have to walk the walk, and and I enjoy you know fielding the questions and and showing that if I can do this while I'm sitting there talking to 25 people, then people can do it when they get home. That's amazing. Do you, how, how, what, people always want to know from every guest I've had on what you eat in a day. Um, this morning, typically I eat fruit to lunch. So I have a big bowl of fruit with some chia seeds and uh, it, it's seasonal fruit. So we're lucky here in Florida. Mango is one of my favorite fruits that is great in season. We have papayas all year round, watermelon, and of course there's blueberries. So a big bowl of fruit starts my day. And then lunchtime, I uh, usually do a giant salad, uh, kale, cucumbers, peppers, and maybe I'll have some rice. Today, I actually had purple potatoes on my salad. Um, I love the California balsamics. Uh, I know you're a big fan. So well, I guess actually... what? No, I mean to interrupt, but just for being on the show, you get two free bottles because this show is sponsored by Thomas and Ethel Allen of California Balsamics. So any guest that lives in the United States gets two free bottles of the flavor of their choice. And I don't know. If... Have you had the new flavor, the Seven Herb Italian? I have not had that one. No. Oh, good. No. So we're going to make sure you get some. Great. Yeah, I used the habanero today. And uh, so that was good. And then uh, dinners, uh, you know, a variety of things. We have uh, some favorites. So we may do a Mexican night or a stir, fruit, uh, stir fry night. We, you know, we might do an Italian night, but it varies. Um, usually have soup once a week, but uh, and then I usually have fruit. I have fruit after every meal. Great. So I have a follow-up question from Maya because I, I, I asked if, 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 the, if her answer was satisfactory because she says what she's talking about, maybe you don't follow all the doctor bashing on Twitter and Instagram, but she said it's more related to recent cardiologists challenging Dr. Esselstyn's work. I don't know if you know of this whole uh, brouhaha. This, I, I try not to give attention to it, but there's a couple of young doctors, one's a dermatologist, one's a cardiologist that are basically saying, Dr. Esselstyn, Dr. Ornish, they're old. They don't know the data. Oil is, is fine. And they didn't really reverse heart disease. Well, I, I, love, I love this question. I, I really do. Because as a practicing physician that you know my clientele is people with heart disease. So every day of my life, you know, I, I deal with heart disease patients and I dealt with them the traditional way, uh, eating the, try to do the best that you can, eat a Mediterranean diet or eat some oil, uh, you know, do the best you can all the way until we transition to um, a plant-based diet. And the reality of it is that once you have disease, you know, once that endothelial cell, there's endothelial dysfunction, there's cholesterol plaques, there is also inflammation. And when you're eating the oils, there was a great study done at the University of Maryland all the way back into the 80s that looked at endothelial reactivity with oil, um, showed vasoconstriction. And uh, it was actually referenced in Game Changers. And I'm gonna block on, on the guy, University of Maryland uh, uh, cardiologist's name. But when you, when you put a blood pressure cup on somebody's arm and then you release it, you get vasodilatation. But if you give them oil, whether it's olive oil or coconut oil or avocado oil or a chicken breast or a sausage egg McMuffin, you cause vasoconstriction. And I know the study that was done recently showed that maybe there was some endothelial improvement with olive oil, but I'll challenge that until the way the study was done. And also, you know, sometimes when we look at metrics, it doesn't translate into patient outcome. 
just like a tumor could shrink, but the patient could die from the chemotherapy. So, so be it as, you know, when we deal with cardiology, uh, if the patient is not getting better because they're not, their blood pressure is still up, they're, they're, they're still in heart failure, it really doesn't matter so much. The, you know, the, the, the small changes that, that are kind of cherry picked in some of the studies. And by doing this, you know, I, again, I have patients that came in that couldn't walk 25 feet and now they're walking three miles. And, and these are people in their 80s, you know, people in their 80s with kidney disease that reversed. People that their anemia actually got better because their kidney disease got better. The heart failure gets better. And a lot of that, we, we also note when they put the oil back in their diet, the inflammation increases so much because you got to remember that most of these oils are high in omega-6s versus omega-3s. And omega-6 leads to inflammation and more clotting as opposed to omega-3s that cause more anti-inflammatory uh, responses and more anti-clotting. So, the, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding when you see somebody that, that comes in and, and gets better. That's great. Let me read some nice comments. Louise and Joey say you have a great cookbook. Christy says, loves your podcast. Cheryl says, this is my doctor and she's awesome. And people want to clarify what kind of telemedicine you do. So in other words, can they live in any state or any country? And is it just for cardiac issues or is it general lifestyle medicine? We'll do general lifestyle medicine or cardiologists in any country, any states. We actually have a few people in India right now um, that are, um, you know, overseas working, but it does it doesn't matter. Um, we we can um, you know help people anywhere they are to try to get because it's it's it needs to be personalized. You know, it's everybody has it brings something to the to the table where they struggle, and so we really like to take time with people and find out what their passion is as far as their movement what their passion is as far as their food preferences so we can meet them where they are. That's fantastic. Here's a question from, looks like a different Maya. Any ideas about familial high cholesterolemia and special considerations? Um, actually, yes. Um, so people that have familial hyperlipidemia, uh, we tend to, especially historically, say, well, these people make a lot of cholesterol. So given plant oils, they're able to take those fats and turn them into cholesterol. But what we've seen um, in the practice that people with either familial hyperlipidemia, which they have high cholesterols or even high triglycerides up in the 1300s, by changing the diet and again, getting the oil out, we can bring just about anybody's cholesterol down below 200. And again, when you take the animal products out, you're not oxidizing the cholesterol and it becomes less less likely to get into the endothelium and cause problems. So, um, you know, really can say very honestly that I haven't had anybody that we couldn't get their cholesterol down, no matter if it's familial or not. We've look, we look into some of that with testing, but when they adopt a, a low fat, whole food plant-based diet, cholesterol drops. Maybe some people not as quick as others, but it always drops. That's great. Louise says, Dr. Delaney is incredible. A doctor, an athlete, a writer. I just admire her so much. Yeah, same here. Well, yeah. Uh, so could you talk a little bit? Uh, there's a question about the recipes in your book. Somebody said, yep. what if I have issues with nightshade? So talk about your book a little bit, what the recipes are. Are they easy to prepare? What kind of recipes are there? Because uh, somebody who's watching live says it's a, a super cookbook and practical, easy to prepare recipes. It is practical. So we took the recipes from what we prepare in nutrition class and that are family favorites as well. 
And the idea is that we want to be able to have somebody go home from work and be able to get one of these recipes on the table 30 minutes or less, the majority of them. So there are some that are a little bit more lengthy, like our stuffed shells take a little bit more time. That's not something that I would make after work. And there's one reference, the actual introduction. Um, the book is dedicated to my grandmother, uh, Addie Delaney, who was a Irish cook that made this brilliant bread called um, um, salt rise and bread. And so that recipe is in there. And that is a very complicated bread recipe that I converted from a traditional Irish lard milk recipe to a no oil soy milk uh, based recipe that, that pretty much rivals Ezekiel bread as far as fiber and nutrients. But again, the, the, re the reality of it is the, uh, the recipes are um, favorites of the class. We like in class to teach people about different grains, different greens, and different vegetable combinations and different spice combinations. So the idea is to take comfort foods and make them plant-based for the most part. Do you have a favorite recipe in the book or a most popular one among the readers? You know, the favorite soup of the book is the black bean fiesta, uh, the black bean fiesta soup because um, you can hide a lot of nutrients in there where, fam where say kids or picky eaters don't know they're in there, mushrooms and greens. And, you know, it looks like black bean soup, but it's loaded with, uh, you know, a lot of uh, nutrients. Um, you know, our favorite holiday is the stuffed shells. That's just one of my, you know, Italian favorites. Um, I'm, I'm fond of the Teff pancakes for a Saturday breakfast treat as well. We do uh, cycling. Typically we might cycle hundred miles and that's a really good breakfast before you go on a long cycle ride at Teff. That Teff grain really sticks with you, so. Wow, you cycle, how often do you cycle hundred miles and, when, and, and how often do you run, every day? Um, depending on what we're training for, right now we're not cycling. Our next event is a swim run event, so I'm swimming and running, but I, I run most days. Uh, we're training for, uh, again, a swim run event and a marathon. And then we have a 50 miler, um, uh, scheduled, uh, in the, in the early spring. It's really cool when you have a, doc a doctor that actually does what they tell their patients to do. And that's what I love about having a lifestyle medicine doctor, because before I did, it was just like, well, you should do this, but they're, you know, sitting there overweight with their diet Coke on their thing and they, they don't, they don't eat right. And they don't, but it's like, it's, it's such, so it's, it feels so much different when you're telling somebody what to do when you're actually doing it. Well, it's funny because my nurse, you know, we have people now coming in with, um, you know, sometimes getting running injuries because we actually have two cardiac patients. And when Maya asked the question, we have two people in our practice that have had bypass and stents who were, who were basically sidelined because of angina with minimal, minimal exertion who are now training for the first marathon. And, you know, so occasionally we'll have people come in that they've got a niggle from running. And, and my nurse always says, well, Dr. Delaney will take care of it because she's had about every running injury that you can have. And it does help that, you know, you've been through uh, various training loads and had little niggles here and then and what they actually are, because most things heal on their own without a lot of intervention. You know, most people are quick to be sent to the orthopedist or quick to get a scope or quick to get an MRI. But you know, a little bit of tender love and care, and we can get most people back uh, exercising without too much, you know, in the way of radiation or intervention. Wow, I like that attitude. Jen says, my husband had a heart attack September 14th, uh, 84 years old, read Dr. Esselstyn's book in June 2015, went whole food plant-based, no oil, no meds, and no more heart incidents and cleared the blocked arteries. I'm sure you've had similar results with your patients. Yes, my, my favorite patient, and I'm going to, 
I guess I'm going to show you a little. He, he made me this. It's a, a little figurine that he carved out of wood, but it was a 86 year old guy that um, came in in heart failure with the walker on oxygen and he was a Vietnam vet and he had a caregiver with him and he just really was kind of at the end of his rope. His kidneys were failing and he was, you know, he was just, uh, you know, one day from the hospital. And I said, listen, would you, would you mind trying something for me? I said, could we, you know, there's this thing called the rice diet from way back in the 40s. I said, would you be willing to do rice, you know, oatmeal for breakfast and fruit and some rice and steamed vegetables for lunch and dinner for one week for me? And his caregiver said, yeah, I can make that. And he said, yeah, I was in Vietnam. I don't, I like rice. And I said, yep, it can be white rice. We're, we're all for that. So his primary care doctor called me in about three days and said, what are you doing to him? He's lost 13 pounds. He's dizzy. You know, I, I can't get these medications off of him quick enough. Fast forward about uh, six, eight weeks. The guy was off most of his medication. He came in. He didn't, ha he had a cane, not a walker. Oxygen was gone. He said, you know, doc, I think I might want to run. And it's like, well, let's maybe take it one step at a time, you know, but kidneys got better. And so it doesn't matter what age people start, they can still get improvement. Yeah. You know, I, I wish Dr. Kempner was alive. I would love to interview him because people are always bashing grains in general, rice in particular, and God forbid we should eat white rice. I, I love white rice and I'm not ashamed to say that I eat it. I do too. I, I love white rice. And, you know, I mean, I figure I get my fiber from all the handfuls of kale and other vegetables that I eat and the beans. So I, I'm getting my 70 grams of fiber. If I want to, you know, give up two grams for my white rice every once in a while, you know, that's to me, that's perfectly fine. And, and again, it's about meeting people where they are. You know, if I can get an 87 year old guy to, to compromise his diet and the, and the compromise is white rice, let's do it. Here, here. Amy says, I'd love to hear what Dr. Delaney has to say about elevated LPA and the whole food plant-based diet. Um, LP little a is a, is a genetic marker for uh, small cholesterol, more dangerous cholesterol, and that it can get under the endothelial cell, uh, more likely to cause problems. So it's, uh, you know, it puts people in a higher risk. Plant-based diet has been shown to lower that some, but the best thing that it does, again, we look at numbers and we like, are we happy with numbers or, you know, does it have to be function? But by changing to a plant-based diet and getting rid of the oils, getting rid of the meat, you're decreasing the oxidation of that cholesterol. So if it's not oxidized, it's much more difficult for the, that cholesterol to get under the endothelial cell and form a plaque. Dr. Esselstyn likens that you can have a hand grenade in the closet as long as you don't pull the pin, you're okay. So a lot of people have familial elevated LP little a. That means you gotta, you know, you've got the old maid in your deck of cards, but it doesn't mean that you've got to be left playing that card. So by changing your diet, you know, yep, you have it, but doesn't have to act on it. I love that analogy because so many people worry about numbers, even though they're eating perfectly. And if Dr. Esselstyn said nobody died from the number. Exactly. And, and we also know that people that are on the most potent statins, plus the PKS8 inhibitors that lower people's cholesterol to 100, you know, you see the commercials where the big guy is out there grilling because he's on all these meds. We, we see people every day that has heart attacks because the, that number just means that their liver's not making cholesterol. That steak that they're taking in is oxidized and going right under that endothelial cell. So it's not just, it's, it's by far not the number. It's, it's the overall picture that we're looking for. Great. Amber says, I did not know that about the difference between omega-3 and 6. Thank you. Because, you know, 
aren't, aren't most nuts except for walnuts very high in omega-6? Yes, and, and the, so the, the thing that's really important is that people say, well, you know, you need essential amino acids. You know, do you get your essential amino acids from your protein? Well, of course we do. Well, essential fatty, what about the good fats? You know, and so that's, that's always the comeback that we get. And I always grab my side, you know, like uh, uh, Jack LaLanne. And it's like, if you can pinch an inch and you need fat, you can probably get it from your ribs, right? But omega-3s and omega-6s are um, essential fatty acids that we have to eat. Omega-3s are kale, you know, come from kale, pinto beans, hemp, hemp seeds, chia seeds, um, flax seeds, and, 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 and you're right, walnuts have more omega-3s than omega-6s. Omega-6s are mainly all the other uh, fats, that we, you know, olives and coconut and all the other nuts. But the, kick, the kicker is that the omega-3s and the omega-6s use the same enzyme to go to their respective pathways. So if you have a bunch, if you eat a bunch of omega-6s, then it hogs up that enzyme and you go more towards clotting, more towards inflammation, you know, and, and it's, the omega-6s are so much more abundant that you, you get that ratio that becomes abnormal. That's why, you know, you hear the paleo and the keto people talk about the grass-fed butter and the grass-fed this and the grass-fed that, because we know traditional meats that are factory farm raised are very, very high in omega-6s because they're fed terrible, terrible foods. Grass-fed animals are, you know, in the grass, again, getting those plants that we need to all get, that they have a little bit more of omega-3. But again, we can eliminate that middle guy and just eat the plants. Yeah. Now, you know, I get criticized a lot by some of the doctors that I'm killing people at recommending and eating a low fat diet. I haven't eaten nuts in almost nine years and I eat almost no seeds. I mean, I don't worry about it. Like I don't take it every day yet. Every year I get my fatty acid profile and it's, it's like stellar, you know? Well, you, you need 1% of your calories. So again, kale will supply it. In the old days, in the intensive care unit, to, to get people to get essential fatty acids before we had intravenous fats, they'd actually put safflower oil on the skin and you could absorb enough safflower oil to get enough omega-3. So it's not like we've got to pile in the sticks of butter that people do in a coffee to try to get fat in our system. You get plenty of fat in kale and beans to get that omega-3. I know people just don't believe it, but my numbers don't lie. Diane says, have you had any success treating AFib with lifestyle medicine? Um, no. <laughs> the, the, so it, 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 no and yes. So atrial fibrillation is an arrhythmia that basically the top chamber of the heart starts to send out hundreds of impulses at one time. It's a, basically a short circuit. And the reason that short circuit occurs is that top chamber is stretched for a reason. It may be stretched from longstanding hypertension. It may be stretched from valvular heart disease. It may be stretched people that were athletes that had a heart that stretched and then it, then it went back. So there's a, a physical abnormality that sen tends to set the heart up for these arrhythmias. On the other hand, again, I said that hypertension and valvular heart disease stretch the heart, sleep apnea stretches the heart that causes these arrhythmias. When we take those away, sometimes the heart will shrink back and they're less likely to have exacerbations. So we can cool it down, so to speak. So no, I can't give you two pounds of kale and make the atrial fibrillation go away, but we can treat it and it might not come back near as often if people are eating optimally. Great, thank you. Cheryl says you guys do a potluck, a plant-based potluck at the end of every month. 
Yes. Um, you know, we, we decided to, you know, it's like show and tell. So I cook, they eat and taste. And then at the end of the month, people bring their own, um, their own food in and we, and we just have a share. And, and again, it's about community. Um, you know, one, eat plant-based, but two, because there are, you know, what, 4% of the world are plant-based, vegans maybe. So you got to have a community and, and to have some support. So these are our great uh, celebrations of plant-based success. If I could share my screen, I could actually share a picture of one of our potlucks. Can I Absolutely. do that? Absolutely, please do. Okay. All right, let's see if I can pull her up here. I'll come down. Don't you guys wish that Dr. Delaney was your doctor? <laughs> She's awesome. So let's see here, get this. So you can see uh, that's one of our potlucks. Pretty good looking, huh? Amazing. Great. So here's a question from Amber. What exactly is the connection between triglycerides, HDL, and LDL? It's confusing to me. Please help me understand. Because a lot of people say that their, I guess their uh, LDL is, their doctor's worried about their LDL being too low, but that's because everything's low. You know, the, the way the numbers are skewed towards people that don't eat healthy, it seems. So the numbers that are on a cholesterol panel are total cholesterol, LDL, which is low density lipoprotein, HDL, which is high density lipoprotein and triglycerides. The lipoprotein part of that is basically the boat that carries cholesterol. So the LDL, like low density lipoprotein, that boat carries mainly cholesterol. The HDL or that high density lipoprotein carries cholesterol and triglycerides mainly from the periphery back to the liver to be metabolized and to be excreted. And triglycerides are the fat in your blood. So they're just the pure breakdown of fats and fatty acids into, into triglycerides. So when we look at the, the total cholesterol, that is you know everything together. The HDL, uh, the high density, people have traditionally referred to that as the good cholesterol, the high cholesterol. And it used to be, well, your good cholesterol is high, that's protective. We know that that is not the case as you alluded to. Basically, if you're low cholesterol, the HDL is like a garbage truck that's going to the periphery to get the cholesterol, to bring it back to be degraded. So if your total cholesterol is low, you don't need a lot of garbage trucks to go get it. So the HDL can be low. So in countries where there's very little heart disease, the total cholesterol is low and the HDL is low. LDL, again, is carrying a boat mainly of cholesterol and, and some triglycerides. So that is more dangerous. We want those, we want that number to get down into the 70 range if possible. Triglycerides is the fat in your blood, which is often a marker of glucose intolerance. So we may see people come in that have normal glucose, but have high triglycerides. And the reason for that is that when the insulin level is high, when, you, when your pancreas has to produce a lot more insulin to get the glucose into the cell, we have high insulin levels in the blood. That high insulin level will actually cause the breakdown of fat into the blood in the form of triglycerides. So you can eat triglycerides. So if you go and have a bagel with vegan cream cheese the night before your blood test, your triglycerides can be elevated. But if you have diabetes, your triglycerides can be elevated because there's high insulin levels in your blood. And then of course, you know, some, there is some genetic um, component where some people 
dump more triglycerides into their blood or retain more fat. So those are the main reasons. But you know, it's it's really a matter of getting the total cholesterol down, getting the LDL LDL down, getting the triglycerides down as much as you can. But again, we're not focused on the number as much as we are the process. And, you know, so I've had people come in that were, you know, junk food junkies that go from a cholesterol 350 to 175 in two or three weeks. But then I've had people that have had lifelong heart disease that came in with a cholesterol of 220 and it's taken us a year, year to get it down, you know, maybe a year and a half because their cells are so much um, more packed with the toxic metabolic, uh, you know, um, things in their, in their cells, though it's harder to get all that out. I have a great analogy, one of my slides that I, that I like to show my class, if I might sh share it with everybody again. And so I like to talk about a garage. You know, when you get a new house, you have a nice clean garage, nothing in there, the walls are painted, it looks really good. But years and years and years of accumulation, the garage starts to get full. And pretty soon when you pull the door up, things fall out. This is like our cells in our body. You know, when you're 10 and 12, you can, you, you know, you can eat that McDonald's and your blood pressure doesn't go up and your cholesterol may not go up because your garage is kind of, your cellular garage is pretty empty. But years and years of doing that, all of a sudden the garage is full. And so, you know, people say, well, I gave up, uh, you know, I, I, I only eat red meat or I only eat chicken. Well, your garage is already full. So that fat and cholesterol from the chicken is enough to cause problems. Or, you know, I put sweet and low in my tea. I can't believe that my, I still have diabetes. Well, you can see that if your cellular garage is so full, little, little changes result in, you still have a mess in your garage. So, you know, the sicker you are, the more drastic we have to make these changes. Again, we can go back to the oil question. If you're taking, if you're still putting oil in your diet and your cellular, you know, your cells are so in disarray, like this garage, you, you need a lot more than just, you know, taking the, taking a little bit of, uh, you know, chicken out of it. I love your analogies. I'll, I'll remember the one about just because you have a hand grenade in your closet doesn't mean you have to pull the fit. <laughs> that's, that's terrific. Uh, let's see. Um, Justine says, what are your thoughts on stents? Um, if you're having the big one, um, you know, you're having, so you're sitting there or you wake up in the middle of the night and you have an elephant on your chest and pain going down your arms and into your jaw and you're sweating and sick at your stomach and you go to the hospital and you have these EKG changes. That means there is a complete blockage of that artery. It's a life threatening situation. There, a stent can be life-saving and change, that changes your overall course from there on out. On the other hand, if your doctor says, gee, you're having good insurance, let's do a stress test. And they do a stress test and you know the tech does it and they take you off and it's, it's a little bit abnormal or maybe they're not sure. So let's do a heart catheterization. It's like, you have a 70% blockage and you say, I feel fine. But then they put a stent in, there's not gonna be any improvement of your quality of life or your quantity of life or your mortality. And in fact, that procedure itself carries a risk of stroke, heart attack, or death, and a, and a, and a risk of having to take medicines lifelong that can cause other issues. So yes, if it's a life-threatening event, sure. If it's not, stay away. You are just awesome. Uh, Sherry says, I just bought Dr. Delaney. I, I didn't know you were for sale because I'd like to buy her too. I don't either. 
How much is it for me? I don't know. You're amazing. Stephanie says, you mentioned 70 grams of fiber. Would that be the recommended minimum amount per minimum amount per day? Um, no, that's not minimum. We know 70, you know, the uh, some tribes in Africa, you know, um, uh, what is it called? Um, the tumor, uh, I'm blocking on the, the tumor. Tarahumara? No. Burkitt's lymphoma. Uh, Dr. Burkitt, uh, who spent a lot of time in, in Africa on, and doing mission work and um, uh, noticed that People, all the time he was there, he never did an appendectomy. He never did a cholecystectomy. He didn't see any diverticular disease. And he, and he correlated, it was pretty funny. He said, the bigger the cars in the parking lot, the worse, the, the lower the fiber intake of an area. Meaning that the more fiber you take in, and, that's, and that's, that was the people that he was taking care of, took a tremendously high fiber diet, about 70 grams a day. Saw no colon cancers, no appendectomies, no diverticular disease. So. You know, our, our American rep, um, recommendations are about 25 to 30 grams. The reality of it at 50 grams, we start to get protection. If you really want to push it, 70 grams is really to get good GI health. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing a summit on GI health that's going to air in the fall, and I'm learning a lot about the gut. And it's, it's fascinating that, you know, you really can't have good health if you don't have it's good new, gut it's health. The new brain. You know, it's the new brain. We used to think that a colon was just there to usher, you know, our waste out, but it's really the... A command center for our immune system. Yep, absolutely. So uh, people are asking where, where, where in Florida do you practice? Port Charlotte, which is about an hour south of Tampa. But you're saying that they can live anywhere because Maya says, I wish I could visit her group because uh, the telemedicine, the, you, they still are part of the group, right? They see that. Right, they're what, part of the group. And we actually Zoom one of our classes. So we have people on Zoom while I'm cooking, you know, so live and Zoom at the same time. So, and then we take those classes and we put, up on, put them up on our members only website as well. Great. So you can, you can be a part of it. Yeah, we love our Zoom people that, that Zoom in because it, you know, again, it makes the family bigger. The, the, the classroom itself holds about 20, 25 people. Uh, and then we can get even more in when we have some Zoom people. That's nice. Gail says, what does thickening of part of the heart mean and can it be reversed? Typically when people say that the heart muscle is thick and they're talking about the left ventricle. So that is the, the chamber that pumps blood to the rest of oxygenated blood to the rest of the body. So high blood pressure. So changes in the blood vessels cause the heart to have to pump harder. So the muscle thickens, just like your bicep would get bigger if you were doing curls all day long. So if you release or you decrease the, the pressure in the arteries, then over time that can thin out. We know that athletes' hearts tend to be a little bit more musculature, muscled and a little bit um, larger than non-athletic hearts. And that's perfectly fine, um, you know, as long as there's, again, a symmetric enlargement of the heart. Sometimes people actually, it just gets measured a little bit um, uh, you know, the, the measurements can be questionable too. So, you, you know, I, I would, uh, if you have that going on, you, you might talk to your doctor as far as, can we see these measurements a little bit closer? Nice. Let's see. Lori says, I've been whole food plant-based for years and just got a calcium score of five. I'm very upset. Maybe you can explain to the viewers what a calcium score is because I don't okay. know. Um, so a calcium score is doing a CT scan and actually looking at the calcium in the blood vessels. And we, you know, just like if you had any other scar tissue, whether it's a cut or, you know, any other scar, you're going to have calcium, calcium in the scar. 
So those, a calcified plaque in the artery is actually a much more stable plaque than what we would call soft plaque. So if there's calcium, it's basically a fibrous cap on top of an abnormality in the blood vessel. And again, a calcium score of five is very, very small. You might even question that in the error of the test. But say somebody had a calcium score of 150 or 300, then we know they have vascular disease. And if we actually took every 60 year old that, you know, and, and there were probably 50% of them that may have an abnormal calcium score, they have plaque in their vessels. The calcium is a stable plaque. The soft plaque is really what we're worried about because the cholesterol crystals, which are very sharp, can pierce through a soft plaque, but not a calcified plaque. So when people heal from cardiovascular disease, reversing their disease through plant-based nutrition, their calcium score could actually go up a little because they're actually healing some of these soft plaques. So a calcium score of five, I actually wouldn't be worried about it at all. Other than I'd say, and, 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 you know, when it comes to, should, should everybody run out and get a calcium score? To me, it, it's, does everybody need to go out and get radiation? I don't think so. You know, because I'm going to tell you the same thing. If you tell me you have a calcium score of 10, 350 or zero, I'm going to say you should eat a whole food plant-based diet without oil. So if I'm not going to change your therapy, why should I radiate you to tell you that? Unless holding your feet to the fire and you having that number will make you change. And usually that won't because we know that people actually have to have pain before they change sometimes. Yeah. Oh my God. You're, I just, I just, just, you're amazing. That's all I can say. RM says, are you sitting on a bouncy ball? I am. Did you see me bouncing? Yeah, I am yeah. sitting on a bouncy ball. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's very cool. Very perceptive RM for picking that up. Um, I, I spent, I spent a month with Addie, my daughter, before she had her baby and she sat on a yoga ball when she was pregnant and I'd sit there and I was doing some of my telemedicine calls from her house. And it's like, you know, this thing is very good. You know, you come in and you get a lot of movement. You have to have some stability sitting on this. You can stretch a bunch of different ways. So it's a great way to be mobile. I mean, that's part of our practice as well as keeping, you know, the hip joints, we want to keep them, you know, as the range of motion as much as we can, the shoulder joints, it's all about moving and moving through your daily life, not just, you know, your hour at the gym, and then you come and sit stagnant the rest of the day. I think I love it. Dr. Gregor does his interviews on a treadmill, you do yours on a ball. So that's amazing. <laughs> Everybody's got their thing. I've once done, I once did mine on a spin bike. That was kind of fun, but I, that, I was really kind of out of breath because I spin, I, st I spin standing up. So that, but that was fun. Amy yeah. says coffee question. What does Dr. Delaney think about coffee for cardiac patients and also for whole food plant-based folks who are not cardiac patients? Um, you know, coffee is like, yes, yes, today, no tomorrow. So if you look at the continuum, um, you know, let's, let's, you know, maybe look at coffee versus tea, both, you know, co coffee comes from a bean, tea comes from a leaf, tea comes from green leaves, there's some antioxidants there, but there's also some antioxidants in coffee, coffee carries with it some caffeine. So some cardiac patients, some people aren't tolerant to the caffeine, if, you know, they have a high sympathetic tone, they, their heart responds that their heart rate goes up a lot with, with that and the coffee drives it. So those people may be, you know, more or less, you know, maybe shift to the tea or less. There's never been anything shown that coffee makes things worse vascularly. So it would only be the caffeine component that is a, a potential and that depends on the individual. So if somebody, you know, if you get racing heart palpitations with coffee, then certainly, you know, I would avoid it. Um, and, you know, if you want to look at antioxidant for antioxidant, there's probably bigger bang for your buck with tea. 
but I don't see, you know, I have a cup of coffee in the morning uh, and I enjoy that. Um, so I, I don't think it's anything to run away from unless you truly are correlating an adverse event from, you know, from a palpitation standpoint. Okay, thank you. If you want a different opinion, tune in next Wednesday when Dr. Goldham yeah, will be a go. guest, you know? <laughs> so that's not something that- You know, I mean, we can, yeah, we can find, you know, there's, there's a, a, for every study there is there, you know, I mean, there, you it depends on how you like to justify your coffee intake, really. Right. Well, just some of the doctors are saying like drink five cups a day. I mean, that seems a little bit excessive. Yeah, I think, you know, again, so what are you giving up? I, I always look at, you know, like we talked about white rice. White rice is great. Um, but if you're eating white rice and you're not getting your greens and your beans and your other vegetables in, then white rice is going to start to hurt you, right? Because you only have so many calories to give. And so you, you want it to be a balanced plate. The same way with coffee. We know that water is probably the best hydrating thing that we can possibly drink. So if you're drinking all your liquids in the form of coffee, then you might not be as hydrated as you need to be. So it's, you know, it's, everything has to be in balance. I don't think that Again, being so regimented, you know, you have to have an inch of this and an ounce of that and a teaspoon of this. I, I think that that tends to drive people more away from this if there are too many rules, you know? So I, I think we have to do a kind approach and again, meet people where they are and, and let's have a great lifestyle. Great. All right, let's see. I saw a question about how, uh, what do you do about high triglycerides? Maybe you could just explain what triglycerides are, what causes them to be high, and if it's something we need to worry about, because Lauren says, how do you lower them? Uh, basically get the fat out of your diet and, and reverse your diabetes. So sometimes, you know, we, we know, you know, again, the traditional medicine talk is that diabetes is sugar and carbs, but we know that's not the case. It is the Blocked, blocking of the uptake of glucose by fat from into the muscle cell, fat blocking the uptake of carbohydrates into the liver. So when we take the fat out of that by weight loss and we take the fat out of the diet, the triglycerides go down. Um, and you know, it, it, it works. <laughs> it just does work. Takes some time in some people, you know? I mean, I talk about, you know, it depends on how full things are. And we can't see inside the cell to see how chocked full things really are take some people more time than others. Exercise is a great way to get your triglycerides down because again, you're burning that off. Your body can use those triglycerides given the opportunity. That's great. So uh, Linda says, is high cholesterol always genetic? No, you can, you can burger, burger King your way there. <laughs> That's funny. That's, that's, you know, great. I mean, it's again, it's back to that garage. You know, you keep, you keep putting fat in the garage sooner or later, you're going to get it so full that it's going to spew out. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause Linda says caffeine, a different one, the coffee is super irritating to my bladder. You know, I've never met a urologist that recommends coffee. So it's really interesting how there's never really one answer for anything. Well, yeah. So the, the question, you know, um, interstitial cystitis um, and people can get, uh, so it's the overall acidity. So we know when people have interstitial cystitis, if we get their urine pH over seven and a half, those symptoms tend to go down. So again, if you throw coffee into that mix and they're eating other things in their diet that increase the acidity, then it's going to be, you know, what, you, you know, that it all adds up. So you know, coffee is an easy thing to eliminate if that's what's putting you over the pH edge, so to speak. Yep. Oh, no. Oh, so no, Linda said, no, can genetics cause high cholesterol? Oh, ab absolutely. You know, um, some people are able to make 
cholesterol better than others. So your liver makes cholesterol about 200 milligrams a day. That's why we don't have to take it in. Some people are very efficient at making cholesterol to the point where, you know, a few peanuts can put their cholesterol, you know, at 220. So, you know, I have people in my practice that weigh a hundred pounds that if they go near peanuts or, you know, have a tablespoon of almond butter, they can actually, you know, throw their cholesterol up. So it depends on your genetics as far as, you know, how much you have to alter the fat intake in your diet as far as to get the cholesterol. Great. People are asking if for your telemedicine program, do you take insurances? And if so, what kind? They asked if you take Blue Shield. Um, we don't. We, um, we got out of the insurance business because, um, you know, when in insurance companies will let you see a registered dietitian uh, for 15 minutes, four times a year, if you have diabetes or kidney disease, we don't really want to be told what to do anymore. And so we don't take insurance. Uh, we have a fee of $220 a month. If you have a Medicare, um, Medicare, we do take because I, I go to the hospital for my Medicare, my older patients, but otherwise we don't. We that 220 covers everything. Covers the nutrition classes, it covers a dietitian, it covers health and wellness, exercise prescriptions, the whole nine yards. Uh, you get my phone number, my email. You can call me anytime you want. I started with calls this morning at five fifteen. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I sort of have something like that with my lifestyle medicine doctor. Good. Yep. Herm says I eat a whole food plant based diet, but I use a little bit of salt. Do you think this is a risk for heart health? Salt can be directly toxic to the blood vessel. So it can make the blood vessel wall stiff. And when you say you lose, use a little bit of salt, you know, I assume that's a little bit of sprinkling or whatever. You have to remember that if you just ate raw all day long, fruits and vegetables, you get about 800 milligrams, 700, 800 milligrams of sodium. That's about all we need. The American Heart Association says anything more than 1500 milligrams, you start to get in trouble. The older we get, the the, the, our kidneys ability to handle salt and water start to, starts to decline. So you have more water retention, uh, leads to more blood pressure. Uh, so it depends on the individual, but 1500 milligrams, we like to keep people from topping out over that just because of vascular health nice. and gastric cancers, you know, so you have a lot of gastric, you know, we, we increase the risk of some gastric cancers with high salt. Kathy says, what does the PA stand for in Jamie Delaney, MDPA? Um, a professional association. It's uh, the IRS billing. I thought maybe it was physician's assistant. I'm thinking, wow, no, you can, no, you can assist an, yourself. I'm an, no, I'm an MD. Uh, we don't have any PAs or nurse practitioners. Um, it's a very small office. We have a registered dietitian, a nurse, and a, a receptionist. And uh, so it's our physician association for um, the good old Uncle Sam billing thing that, that's on there. So it's that's, a tax thing. That is great. So people keep worrying about this calcium score and they're wondering, can it be reduced with a whole food plant-based diet? Should they get a stent? You, you kind of talked about it. That Yeah, no, I mean, the, you know, that calcium score is, it, it's a marker of disease. You know, it's a, hey, you know, if, if you look at, so again, if we take every 60 year old in Florida and we do a calcium score on them, we're gonna find about 50% of them have blockages in their arteries, probably over 60% when we do a heart catheterization. You do 70, 70 year olds, you're gonna be 60, 65%. You do 80 year olds, you're gonna have 75, 80% of those people have coronary artery disease. But again, I just, you know, earlier on, we said a stent in the absence of symptoms, in the absence of the big one, a stent or a bypass does not extend your life. On the other hand, changing your diet can extend your life. And again, 
we're not just talking cardiovascular disease. We're talking autoimmune disease. We're talking immune health. We're talking about lowering cancer rates. So it's a whole ball of wax that we're looking at general health and wellness, not just changing a score. So we feel better about ourselves. Uh, Justine said here, we have somebody lower than five. She said, I had a zero calcium score, but two EKGs that curves below line. And the cardiologist I saw did an echocardiogram that was fine, but the doctor is telling me to get a heart catheterization. What do you think of this invasive test? I think you should run the other direction. <laughs> so, you know, again, it's, it's, look, it's looking at, at symptoms. So if someone is having symptoms, chest discomfort with exertion, jaw pain with exertion, overwhelming fatigue that they just can't do, you know, I go to the grocery store, I have to come home and lay down, I just have no energy whatsoever. Those are symptoms of progressive vascular disease, progressive coronary artery vascular disease we need to do something. And again, that is still in the realm of reversing this through nutrition. An abnormal EKG, you know, uh, an EKG is a Polaroid snapshot today of what your electrical system in your heart looks like. The baseline, and, and unfortunately, a lot of people go to the doctor and uh, a technician runs an EKG and the computer spits out a diagnosis and somebody runs with that diagnosis that a computer generated. And, you know, it could be that, that, you know, the leads weren't on right and it caused some change in the baseline for it to sag, um, you know, on, on and on and on. An echocardiogram, if, um, let's, an echocardiogram is an ultrasound of the heart and it shows us the function of the valves. It shows us the function of the heart, the squeeze of the heart. So we can get a lot of good information. So let's say that there was an abnormality that one side of the heart wasn't contracting as appropriately as it should. It's like, wonder why that is. Um, typically if it's, you know, we can look at and, and infer that that's probably cardiovascular disease or that that side of the heart may not be getting enough blood flow. Tradition, traditional medicine would say, okay, we'll do a stress test on that person to see whether or not that could be permanent damage or um, damage that's reversible. And, you know, and I like a stress test now and then because I can put somebody on a treadmill and I can have them walk till they feel fatigued. And I let them tell me when they're fatigued. I just don't look at the monitor and say, I've stood here long enough. You can get off now. So I, so we look at their functional capacity. If someone can stay on a treadmill on a particular protocol that we use as a Bruce protocol for 10, 12 minutes, I don't care what anything looks like, their EKG, their calcium score, I don't care what anything looks like, their prognosis is excellent in the upcoming years. So fitness is a really big predictor. Even people that eat like crap, but if their fitness is good, it's, they still get some protection. Do they get the protection of a plant-based person that's fit? No, but they still can get, you know, you still do better, you know, if you have a good engine than you do if you have a bad engine. Jasmine says, what foods do you recommend to lower LDL? Mine is 199. And then Justine said, are there any vegetables that you recommend to lower? Them? Yes, all of them. But especially, you know, so again, um, I, I get my six cups of greens in a day and alter them. You know, I'm a huge lover of kale, but collard, spinach, cauliflower, broccoli. So, you know, I get those six cups of those in a day. Um, I, I would like to look at my plate and, and see that it's colorful. So all the colors of the rainbow should be on, on the plate. Um, and, 
you're going to normalize your weight and eat the vegetables, eat some grains, you know, have your potatoes uh, to fill in because, you know, if, again, if you, if you just ate the kale, you're going to be hungry. So the potatoes, you know, take you along and provide nutrients. But um, if you eat like that, things are going to get better and your LDL is going to drop. Okay. As Susie says, is Lasix safe for water retention? I thought Lasix was for the opposite, to get rid of water. Right. Lasix furosemide is a diuretic that takes, um, that, that has the kidneys lose salt and then the water comes with it. And so um, it lowers blood pressure by decreasing the volume in the arteries. Um, people that have heart failure, we, we use Lasix with because blood is backing up into the lungs and they're short of breath. So until we can get their volume status under control, then we use that as a diuretic. I have to tell you that my heart failure patients by eating a low salt plant-based diet, we can get them off of their diuretics. Nice. Kavita says, can you suggest dietary modifications to help with SVT? I already have no caffeine and no alcohol. SVT supraventricular tachycardia is typically a reentrant pathway. Think about if you were getting off of the interstate and you got stuck in the clover leaf and you just kept going around or a roundabout and you just kept going around and around and around. How do you get out of the, the, the uh, roundabout? Um, and sometimes, you know, we can give a medication that blocks, you know, so that you can block enough that you can get out. Sometimes bearing down, sometimes coughing can, coughing can pull people out of that. But the most of the time that is an electrical abnormality that does not respond to nutrition and it, it actually can be cured via what we call an ablation or freezing one of those pathways. That's great. Thanks. And then you eliminate the need for medication. Uh, people are commenting they love your podcast. You want to talk about it a little bit and where they can find it? Yep. The podcast is Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. It's on iTunes and Stitcher and, and uh, on my website as well. You can get a link to it. Um, I started it, I guess, five years ago. You said you were episode 22. Um, just as a way to share uh, what I do and my passion for health and wellness, we've evolved a little bit. Uh, there's a little bit of running in there. There's, you know, well, it's nutrition. I try to touch on food. I try to touch on moving. I try to touch on uh, some studies that are, you know, that came up in the past week or so that I'd like to address that deals with cardiac issues. Um, you know, somebody, sometimes people ask me a question through an email, I'll, I'll throw that up there. But a lot of times it's just sharing what happened to me the week during the week, uh, because, you know, everybody's, we're not all that different. You know, we have a lot more similarities than people would like to believe these days. And, um, you know, so things that happen in my office uh, typically ring true for people listening. Well, I'm going to definitely put links to everything that we've talked about in the show notes. I just think you're amazing. Well, thank you. And I think you're amazing. And it's, it's nice to see you. I, I'm sorry that uh, we didn't have the Veg Fest down here this year to, uh, you know, the things got canceled with the old COVID, but hopefully uh, we'll get you down here sometime. And maybe your daughter would like to come on sometime as a guest or somebody, uh, maybe do a cooking demo. She would love it. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Delaney, for the wonderful work you do. And thank you all for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow when I have two shows. At 11 a.m., I have the producer of an amazing film called The Food Cure, and we address the question is whether or not you can reverse cancer or stop it with a whole food plant-based diet. And at two o'clock, I have another wonderful guest, a registered dietitian, Jerry Casados. Thanks again, Dr. Delaney.
Thank you.